and welcome to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we take you down Route 666 on the Quicksilver Highway. I'm using quotes from Christopher Lloyd. No, you made that up. You cannot hold it against me. You made that up all by yourself. We watched uh, a mashup, a Clive Barker, Stephen King, Mick Garris mashup this week called uh, Quicksilver Highway. Mm -hmm. And before we get into the film, how was your week? My week was really so busy I can't remember it. Um... We that keeps happening. Are you having stuff. weeks? We're having weeks, but also we're going to the movies a lot, and we're, I am finishing up a big project that has taken a lot of time. Mm. So as I am approaching the last couple of pages of that project, I, I'm, I, that's all I can remember, is that when I get back to it, I'll be able to sit on it for a while and then begin editing, but that I've actually done a lot of work. So... Um, yeah, so everything's kind of the same until I finish it. What about you? Pretty much the same. Lots of work. Mm. Not enough work. We'll have to do more work. Today we record on a Sunday in front of a fire because you will be busy this week. Blazing fire. And Well, it's less blazing now than it oh, was a minute ago. <laughs> I just started it. And uh, I will probably do work and then I will probably do craft. Crafts and work. That's what my whole life is. Crafts and work and podcast editing. So, Oh, my. Will we be reviewing both segments of this since only one is... Yeah, we'll Stephen talk King. about okay. both of them, I think. So, yeah, let's talk about what this is. This is a movie that um, I'd never heard of. Neither have I. It's a television film, television movie from 1997, uh, released on ABC. And it stars... Christopher Lloyd as our titular Aaron Quicksilver, a man who apparently has a TARDIS attached to a Rolls Royce, and he is going to tell two stories, one of which is a Stephen King story, the first one that we saw, but apparently when it was re-released, it's the second one. And then the second story is a Clive Barker short story. Okay. I couldn't that's that's the that's the synopsis, right? This mm-hmm. there's this frame narrative. And we start with a bride and groom, they've broken down on the side of, of the highway. I guess it's a highway. Mm-hmm. A two-lane highway in the middle of the desert with nothing about. And these actors, you knew the woman, Missy Kreider, who was uh, still working. She bears a really strong resemblance to Julia Stiles. Okay. One of those blonde, high cheekboned actresses that that had a lot of work in the '90s, but she did a lot of things. There was an independent film she did years ago called "A uh, Boy Called Hate," mm-hmm. and uh, her and uh, Scott Kahn. Scott Kahn actually. And James Kahn. Right. And they, Elliot Gould. That's kind of where the first place I saw Scott Kahn, who's become a presence since then. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, yeah, she did a lot of great stuff, and she always gave a great performance, and she. Uh, she just, you remember the name Miss, it's actually Melissa Kreider, and for a few years she was going by Melissa Kreider as an adult, but I think she realized that kind of ruined her brand because she'd gone for so long in so many films as Missy. But yeah, she was great. She had just been a presence with a very long career. Yeah, she was unfortunately in Powder. Yeah. She's been in all the Law and Orders. She's been in Criminal Minds. She's been in a bunch of bunch of stuff. She's on television quite a bit, it looks right. like. So she is the bride. Her name is Olivia. The groom is played by, I don't know how to pronounce this last name. 
It's Raphael. Is it Raphael? Sparge? Sparge. I guess so. He's. He sounds like a stammering, but no, that's actually his name. He's in a lot of stuff. We've seen him before, Mm -hmm. for sure. Another person who was in literally. Oh, he was in the TV series Murder in the First, along with Missy Kreider in a bunch of episodes. (laughs) They hit it off. I, I guess so. I hope. Uh, this is a man whose teeth I recognized. I was like, I know those teeth. And speaking of teeth. Yes. <laughs> and so he goes off in search of, uh, they need, they have a flat tire, and so he goes off in search of a new tire uh, and leaves his wife. He says, watch the car, like the car is going to do a trick. Right. Then we see it some time has passed, and she is listening to the radio, and I'm like, she's going to run down the... And then the battery dies. Mm. <laughs> like the battery. She's going to run down the battery. And she has, in fact, run down the battery. So the battery dies, and we see the top, the, their wedding cake sort of melting in the back seat. And then more time passes, and it is nighttime, and he has not returned. And then we see a car coming towards us in the distance. And this is the Rolls Royce with a silver trailer attached to it. And out of it comes Christopher Lloyd wearing. Yes, I believe that maybe a duster, like you saw in westerns. You thought it might be a cassock. Let's start at the top of his head. He is wearing a wig. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's an orangish bowl cut situation. Mm-hmm. His face. He is wearing makeup. I cannot tell if he is intended to have been painted white or green. Uh-huh. It is a. Weird combination of those two. And he is wearing this powder makeup over his entire visage. And then he is wearing a full-length something. I was like, is it a cassock? I don't know. Is yeah. it just a coat? The I don't know. The impression I got was that it was a duster. I don't know. But there's know. nothing under it. There doesn't seem to be. And he <laughs> also appears to be wearing a dog collar. And he is wearing a very thick choker, of a uh, leather choker of some right. sort. And I, I think this is interesting because apparently this started as a kind of, uh, it was, the attempt was to create a TV anthology production. Yes, yeah. I do, with him as a central character who introduces these stories. Right. And in both different stories, he has a, he appears to have two different backstories for... Well, well, because in one he's driving around in a trailer, and he tells these spooky stories. In another one, he was at a fun fair. Right, um, but he may both of those may be true. About I, the character, but it didn't seem to have that consistency. Oh, there's a man because uh, we talked about last week the hitchhiker. There's a man wandering around hitchhiking yeah. on the road, and he tells you a story. This didn't seem like they were experimenting with different, what we're going to have what him our, do. Our right. framework narrative is, and so this one he's dressed the same. He's playing essentially the same character. Um, in this first one, it little bit made a little bit more sense given the fact that he was talking about stories on the road. Right. Well, and you collect stories on the road by right. doing a traveling fair. That's why I'm saying they, they're not necessarily separate. No. But already, she, he, he invites the, our bride into his trailer for a meal. Uh, she goes with him because she's insane <laughs> to go with this well, man to a second location. She's, it's, it's now night. It's nighttime. The, the temperature is dropping. There's, She's hungry. I There's only say, cake. Mick Garris, I, I need to apologize a little bit because when we watched The Stand, I mentioned how he wasn't very visual. There are fight scenes that are staged where the camera mm-hmm. seems to be in one place and everyone's running back and forth in front right. of it. There were scenes where the microphone is in frame and stuff like that. It's very much a Kevin Smith style right. of, it, it, this it isn't what I'm good at. It was so. very amateurish, but this film had a great deal more polish 
And those opening scenes with Missy Clyder, there's a, an interesting visual of her in a full, enormous wedding gown. And she appears to be pregnant, which right. they never mention. They never address. <laughs> uh, and she's wandering around in this wedding gown along the desert, and that creates an, an interesting visual image. It is image. an interesting visual. Also, we should know that as soon as this movie starts, it's the music is Bar- Mark's mother's bar, uh, uh, but that it's the stand soundtrack. Right. It's fully out of the stand. I told you, going on a road through Arizona, that's exactly the music going through your head for some reason. I don't know it's the Heather's on the stand. That kind of... Stand music that is just very iconic to me of the stand, but it is... guitar kind of thing. Identical (laughs) in this movie. So she goes into his trailer, Mm -hmm. um, and this trailer is a TARDIS. It is so much bigger on the inside than on the outside. <laughs> and he sits her at the table and they begin to eat. And he he's a real dick to her for no apparent reason. Like Well, we we get the sense <laughs> earlier her husband, Mr. Sbarge. Sbarge. I don't know how to say it. His name Sbarge. is Sbarge. Hold on. I have it in my notes. I wrote notes this time. Okay, I'll wait. Carrie. Carrie, Carrie And he calls her Cookie Face, so we actually don't know her name right away. Well, and that's kind of why she goes... And before he leaves, he talks about how this is like an urban legend where the bride is left and she hears a scraping on the car roof Uh and it's the fingers of her dead lover. Uh, I think that was supposed to give you the suggestion or the hint that she does not like scary stories, so when she's... And this certainly not when it's enormous trailer with Christopher <laughs> Lloyd. She wants to, you know, uh, she's apprehensive about being there with him because he insists on telling her about uh, the duality of good and evil in the universe. Yeah, he's like, "There's you're an optimist, but there's no good without evil, and mm-hmm. there's no, you know." And he goes on this whole, "I'm Rant. a, I'm a." Riverman, you know, I'm the the ferryman, ferryman on the river sticks of this of the highway 666 and she and he says I'm collecting stories and she says like Charles Kuralt uh-huh. and I don't understand Charles that Carralt reference. Charles had a lovely uh, Sunday morning show okay. where he interviewed people on the road and they were usually very interesting pleasant people Okay, uh, getting back to America the, the lovely roots of of our country, Ugh. and it was a it was a really pleasant show for a Sunday morning, like a like a Hugh Hauser situation. Hugh Hauser okay. or um, the other, that was very local to the Bay right. Area, so. But yeah, he would go out and talk to you about all the the, the situations that uh, were going on and people doing good things in places. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the idea, the the juxtaposition of this man and and she's and, and he says Charles no, Carole. not like Charles Kroll because that's only good stuff because right. they whitewash it basically, and yeah. he's looking for the down and dirty stuff, and uh, he says he's a collector of stories and things, uh, and then you said at that point, you know what he's dressed like is a Cenobite. Right, the Cenobites, the the characters uh, from uh, Hellraiser, another Clive Barker thing. Right. So that is probably well, on I purpose. I felt like. Did Stephen King write the script? No. Because his speech sounds very much like a kind of riff on a 50s song lyric. Especially the part that you mentioned, you know, the, the ferryman of the river Mick sticks of the highway wrote, 666. That sounds very much like Mick Garris a song wrote lyric. The, uh, okay. the script, the teleplay. So he feels like he's channeling Stephen King at that point. And and I think that's right. I think that they pull from very similar mm-hmm. things. So that's not surprising at all. Um and then he starts telling her a story and then we 
fade to sandstorm. We are outside of scooters. Hold on, I wrote it down. Grocery and roadside zoo. <laughs> scooters, grocery, and roadside zoo. And we have we see Bill. Now Bill is Bill is Carrie. Bill is played by the same actor that played the husband in the in the frame narrative. And he is on the phone with his wife saying, the sandstorm is so bad, I cannot make it home for my son, for Jack, our son Jack's birthday party. And her, she is like, any other night but tonight, tonight you have to make it home. You, have, you can't not make it home. You can't do this. And he's like, I'm literally not doing anything. And we see there is a terrible fucking sandstorm. Uh, and then he acquiesces to his harpy wife. And is going yes. to drive through this deadly ass. Yeah. He makes labels, right? Or he sells label machines and label scanning machines. And he transports them in a van, a customized van that he drives Yeah, we around. find that out later. Right, but I mean, that's important to know so who he is to get a visual. He's, just, he's driving in a van, that's all we know. Right. And, and I lied, he's not outside of scooters now. He's just outside of some other we building. We can't see where the hell he is. We don't know There's where he is. There's a phone booth in the middle a, of nowhere? Yeah. And a dust storm. Well, it's not the middle of nowhere. There is a building there, but we don't see what it is. And so he gets in the car and he drives, and then he almost runs over somebody, but he doesn't. He man who's standing in the middle of the road middle in a sandstorm. I would like to emphasize middle of the road. Y'all don't. Do this that. guy should not be upset because he was standing in the middle of the road in a, sun, in a, a, a sandstorm. And then he gets up to scooters and he pulls off, and we see scooters, grocery, and roadside zoo, which just contains a there's a, a bunch of animals. Including like a raccoon. There's a, some sort of vulture. Uh, there's a thing that they call a wolf that is definitely just a dog. <laughs> just a dog. <laughs> just a dog. Uh, and those are outside. <laughs> and sh- and he goes in, and then there are a bunch of toys along the the, uh, the side. And there's some bickering back and forth between Scooter, it, the the uh, titular Scooter, Scooter, and his wife Myra, uh, and she's like, "Bring those animals inside," and uh-huh. he's like, "I'm bringing them inside." And also, that's not a wolf; it's just a dog. And I would if you like want to point him, you bring him in yourself. The wife is played by Veronica Cartwright. Okay, who is one of the unsung great character actors of our world. Um, she appeared in The Birds as a child. She appeared in Alien as an adult. She appeared in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. She has had a very long and storied career with some amazing directors. And uh, she loves, for some reason, playing this kind of blowsy, you know, woman at the roadside diner who loves fighting with her husband. It's their only entertainment in this place, I guess. She does... I, I did just see her in Criminal Minds. I've seen her in Criminal Minds yeah. before. Um Oh, she's in a bunch of Bosch episodes. I like yeah. that show. Um, but yeah, no, she's been God. in literally everything. I remember her, I think the first time I saw her wasn't in The Birds, oddly. It was in The Children's Hour, a film where two girls at a private girl's school get back at their teacher by accusing her of being a lesbian. And this is 1961. And her performance as this horribly bitchy girl who gets revenge by ruining this woman's life, that was an amazing performance. Like, where the hell did you pull that from at your age? But no. Great character actor. I'm glad that she's had such a long career. She, yep, still working. Yep, still, still working. Still working. Currently can be seen in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina as a fortune teller. <laughs> she's also in a recent episode of Supernatural. <laughs> um, just keep her away from aliens. She doesn't do well with them. And he sees these teeth. And 
They're supposed to be funny. I guess everybody finds them funny. I find them creepy as fuck. <laughs> now, what is your association with Shattering Teeth? Because this, this, this story, this story is the only. I've never seen these. That used to be a gag when I was a kid. I guess, and I don't know why it was. Is funny. it in? It, so you like if you you knew somebody with a set of dentures, you'd replace them with these. Uh, no, they had little. Well, some there's of them, a wind up. I yeah. never this. These ones have feet. So right, what, they, what we see typically are typically they didn't when I was a kid. What we see are these massively oversized. Right. That's the other thing about these ones. They're massively oversized. This isn't going inside of like a human face. Well, no, if you're under the giant they were, or something maybe, but they're yeah, they're usually about the size of an actual pair of dentures. Pair of dentures. Right. But, and then they there'd be like a, one of those little white knobby uh-huh. wind-up things, right? And right. then they bite, 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 bite. I don't find that funny. That's creepy as fuck to me. But it's a well, gag. Snakes jumping out of a can of peanuts. Also not well. <laughs> yeah, neither funny nor scary. I don't know what that's even about. But these are it probably almost... nine inches tall. Uh huh. Because they do have big feet on them. You know what it looked like to me? Mm. It looked like those demonstration choppers you used to get when a dentist came to your school. It was like this is how you brush your teeth. Right. Yes, exactly. and we've I mean, made it big so everyone can right, in the classroom so can see it. In the back of the class. So I don't I, I, that. I never got it. To me, speaking of Hellraiser, the most terrifying of the Cenobites was that eyeless yeah, teeth chattering thing. Yeah. Scared the hell out of me, and I was an adult at the time, so yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't like these things at all. So he no. sees this, and he thinks it's cute, and his kid would like it. So he wonders if there is a key, uh, and there yeah. is. But Myra dropped them a few years ago, so they don't work. Okay, <laughs> so he starts by saying, "Oh yeah, that's fifteen ninety five and Scooter drops his price. It's fifteen ninety five. Since they're broken, I'll give him to you three three seventy five. I'll give them to you for three dollars. Actually, why don't you just take just them and take the I wish things. your kids happy kid happy birthday? And he's like, All right, that's fine. And then we see Silas Weir, who uh, is an actor. His name in the show is Brian Adams. Yes, like that. Brian and at one Adams. point in the car, as if to emphasize the point that he's making up a lie, we see that the guy driving the car has a Brian Adams CD. Oh, I didn't check yeah, that. I didn't realize that. Okay. Like, I looked it up because, like, is that right? Oh, that's Brian Adams. So, picture, okay. Right? So. so he's probably lying about his name. Right. Uh, so he comes in, and um, we recognize that this is the man on the road that he was that was swerved around, uh, and he goes to buy a uh, pack of cigarettes, but he's a dime short. Myra's like, I don't trust. I don't think the Pope smokes these, but even if he did, I wouldn't trust him for the dime. And uh, then our our hero flips him a quarter and to to cover the cost. Now we also know that Bill is a non-smoker because he has a glass cylinder on his dashboard that says, "In case of emergency, break glass with a c- one cigarette inside right. of it," which feels very much like quitter's ink. Like that yeah. feels I like a thing from a, that. Yeah, I don't know. Huh. I've definitely seen those. Mm. That you could just buy at a gas station. Okay. So it's a it's definitely a thing. I don't know that it was made especially for this, but it may be a nod back to the Quitter's Inc. And, uh, you know, he, he basically covers the guy's cigarettes, and that's fine. And then he takes the teeth, and he goes, Bill goes out, and we see this 
hitchhiker leaning on his van, and he basically is like, come on, man, give me a ride. <laughs> now, we would like to mention we like the guy playing the hitchhiker. Yes. So Silas Ware was, uh, 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 he was a werewolf. He was a werewolf. A middle-aged werewolf. He was one of the main clocks, guys in Grimm. Right? He was great. I very much do like this actor. I do not like this character, but there's good reason he's the bad guy, y'all. Yeah. Surprise, surprise, he's the bad he's guy. He's a pushy Bill jerk. does not want to drive this man because he has had a bad experience in the past with a hitchhiker, but he says... Tell us what that bad experience is. We don't know. All right. We don't know what the bad experience is. Oh, I know that. I, I'm actually just pointing out there's a couple of flaws in the storytelling. The other one's like, well, why don't you take an airplane? I had a bad experience. Bad, he's had bad experiences, but he has not he's necessarily <laughs> learned from those right. bad experiences. So... They're driving, and he says, but, but, but before they get going, he says, if you're going to, you can't smoke in this car, and if you're going to smoke, you have to get out. Like, if you need to smoke the cigarette, you have to get out of the car. And the dude seems to be okay with that for, like, three minutes, and then he lights up a cigarette, and the driver of the vehicle is like, uh, I fucking told you not to do that. And he's like, that's like asking a junkie not to shoot up. And I'm like, it isn't, though. You could have just not done that. Well, okay, <laughs> but even if you ask a junkie not to shoot up in your car, in your that's car, all right. <laughs> yes, okay. it's a very specific ask. Um, uh, yeah, that was weird. But he still doesn't pull over, and then of course this Brian Adams, not Brian Adams, uh, says he's an artist. When asked what kind of artist, writer, painter, sculptor, he's like yes, <laughs> or musician. He says yes, all of the above. He says he's a mind. Burdened with a body, mind hopelessly trapped in a body. That's what he says. And he lights a cigarette, and that's when <laughs> I, I, that, that just that sounds a lot like the artist that yeah. I met during the nineties. They were just like, "No, nah, man, it's not about discipline. It's about pot." Well, anyhow, go on. And Sorry. Uh, yeah, and, so, and then they talk. He's got a he he. Then then this is when we find out that. Bill sells labels, UPC labels, and the scanners upon mm. which to scan them, which is a wild occupation, but okay. Uh, and then he says, well, sorry, but you're about to have another bad experience. And he pulls a knife. And I'm like, is this what happened last time to the with the hitchhiker? We don't know what the bad experience was, but it feels like this is probably the bad experience. At, at which point we have a little bit of a nothing to lose uh, situation wherein the seatbelt wearing Bill is like, if I fucking get in an accident, this truck, this van is insured, and I'm reasonably sure I'll walk away, but you probably will die. And then he starts driving like a lunatic, and he gets cut a couple of times in desperation, uh, and then he does end up flipping the van. The van flips over. Silas does not die. I'm calling him Silas, not Brian. He doesn't have a name. His name is Silas. It's the best name, so I'm going to use that name. And he does not die, and he goes to attack him, and he doesn't... The whole time I'm like, Bill is... The van is upside down. Bill is seatbelted in, and he cannot... His seatbelt will not release. Mm -hmm. So he is trapped. Which I like. That was an interesting situation. <laughs> yeah. I imagine... I'm trying to remember seatbelts back in the day, whether they still had the hook arrangement. Oh, I see. But yeah. I can see that... If your body weight was literally upside down yeah. and you were snagged into it's it, there, it would be holding mm -hmm. you into place. And that looks like, for the actors, that must have been the actor, Mr. Sparge. It must have been a hell of a, a couple of scenes yeah. to do because he's there for a while. He is. So he's upside down and the other guy like goes to attack him and they tussle a little bit. And 
Bill ends up hitting him with the bag holding the chattering mm-hmm. teeth, which are we have also learned normally they're plastic. These are made out of metal. Right. Which is wild. So it must weigh, it's, I'd say, it, like four or five pounds. Yeah. I, I, uh, <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't. It's not light, it, for sure, the size of these things. I want to read this story now. Okay. Oh, we've got it. It's like, I'm going, why would they be metal? Why would you do? But anyhow, go ahead. He sort of comes back to, and Silas is shaking off that thing, and he goes to attack him again, and the teeth start going in the bag, uh-huh. just inside the bag, which I actually like that as a detail. Like, right. I, that was creepy. You just hear bite, 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 but it's like just rough, rushed rustles inside of this very worn paper bags that they had that they have. But I can't imagine it would support the weight of that if you were just carrying it around. No, I don't think, think it would so. fall off the bottom of the bag. It was just soft. It was a yeah. soft paper bag. Um, and then there's more back and forth, and mm-hmm. the whole time I'm like, punch him in the dick, because like <laughs> his crotch was like face level with Bill, who's upside down, because he's like kneeling uh-huh. on the Silas is like kneeling on the roof. Uh-huh. The inside well, of the roof, right. The, the inside yeah. of the roof, well, or the ceiling, the ceiling I guess. Yeah. And then Bill is upside down in the driver's seat still. And every time he goes to attack him, we see, uh, we get a rustling bite, 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 bite mm-hmm. in, the te- in the thing. And then Bill starts, like, prodding the thing to bite him. Like, attack him, bite him, bite his fingers off, I think he right. says. And that prompts the hitchhiker to go pick up what's in the bag uh-huh. and he picks it up and he's like oh are you telling this thing to bite me and then he's like do you want to bite me and he's poking it and he's like no you don't want to bite daddy you wouldn't bite daddy which is a weird yeah that's a weird little no, y'all no. the word daddy is inserted it's, in some places that i don't think it needs to be some really bad connotations now yeah oh, it is like yeah. it. not and, appropriate uh, not appropriate and then it does bite daddy it bites his face, and then it bites all over him. Bite, bite, and then it bites his fingers off. And we get these cut scenes, these uh-huh. cut, split edits of it biting onto different parts of its body. It's edited in a way, because here's the thing. This thing has no, like, ability to jump. Like, I don't want to watch it. Ju- it doesn't have knees mm-hmm. or joints. <laughs> it just has these little flat feet that it walks on. And then it bites. So there's no real good way. I think this is the best way well, to it's show. Sort of like the hedge animals that we talked about for, yeah. the, for the Shining. It's show it attacked, right? Or like attached to different pieces of the body. Right. Don't show it moving. Also, the gore level for these two programs is very weird low. to me. It's low because as there's we'll, no blood, there should be way more blood. We'll see in the body politic the Clive Barker contribution. Yeah. There's weirdly bloodless moments where there should be blood. There should be blood. These giant this metal thing... teeth have clamped on his nose, mm-hmm. and there's not a scratch, there's nope. not a cut. At one point, bites off to his fingers, no and blood. you think, nope, no blood. No you blood. would think there would be something. No, there isn't. Nope. And, uh, and then the teeth finish what they're doing with him, mm-hmm. and they come towards Bill. Bite, 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 bite. Right. And Bill loses his mind and blacks out, I guess. And wakes up in a in a position that there's no way that he could have been been in. Right. The the teeth had actually bitten through his seatbelt, so he's free. But when we see him come to, he is sitting up behind the driver's seat. Like I don't know how he got there. 
he would have just fallen on his head <laughs> and right. crumpled down until he regained consciousness. I don't, I, that bothered me because I was like, well, how did, so he comes to and he gets himself out of the vehicle and he looks and he sees the body being dragged Which I slowly. think to me worked as a kind of I a creepy too. image. I actually like that too. Because you don't know what it's up to, only that it's dragging them away discreetly to do something horrible. Yeah. Or just to finish it eating. This is my meal for... It's like a, you know, when an animal, like a scavenger uh-huh. animal yeah. kills a big thing, they're like, I gotta go bury this so that I right. can keep eating it forever. Uh, and then he goes... We cut to, what, like a year, nine months later? I, I forget the exact months. time, but it's quite a bit after. I believe it is nine months. And he goes into what is now Myra's place. The dog, Wolf, is not in the cage anymore. He's just laying on the porch. He goes in, and it's a diner now. It's not a grocery. Because Scooter passed away. And we knew this. We we knew. um, We got a little detail of, you know, she's a good woman, but I've got the cancer, and she's got the change, so neither of us are the easiest to get along with right now. Mm -hmm. This was what Scooter tells Bill in the first, in the opening. Um, And Scooter passed from the cancer. And Myra has redone the business as a as a diner situation, and not as a video rental store or DVDs not as a, no. Or, that's what he wanted video right. rentals, and she's like, "No, for my dead body." It's or whatever. Kept, well, he said that Myra has a lot of ideas, but you know, um, so the zoo was one idea, I'm guessing, with, yeah. the, with a windblown raccoon and a dog, <laughs> and then it becomes the uh, selling novelties, and that didn't yeah. work because nobody wanted to buy. Yeah, the and giant he was trying to get rid of all those novelties. Right. So he says, oh, you know, I came in a while ago. Your husband was a good man. I'm sorry that, I'm sorry, you know, that he's gone or whatever. And he's like, oh, you're the one who was in the accident when we had that big storm. They found the other, that hitchhiker. It looked like the animals had worked him over pretty mm-hmm. good. It wasn't the animals. It was the chattering teeth. And then he goes, she goes, oh, I have something of yours. And it's the teeth that they were on the stoop the next day and she figured he just dropped them. It returned home. Um, and had just not even realized that he didn't have them. Uh, and so she says, well, they're yours if you want them. So mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, I'll take them. I don't even need a bag. I'll take them as is. She go- He goes out and there's a little standoff between the teeth and the dog. The dog growls at the teeth and the teeth at the dog. And then he takes them home uh-huh. as, I guess, his own dark guard dog. And that is the end of Chattery Teeth. Now, there's the... Then that, there's the closing... The framework, which didn't work for framework. me in context, but maybe you can, we'll talk about that. Yeah, so then we go back and uh-huh. she's like, I hate your story. And he's like, I don't care. Basically, and then they hear a squeal and a crash, and they run out of the trailer, and there's a car that has hit something, and the driver is disoriented and says, is he okay, is he okay? I didn't see him, he was hitchhiking. And they look around, and she immediately freaks out, thinking that it's her, Carrie, her husband, come back. And we look, and we see it is Carrie in a tuxedo in his like not tuxedo like mm-hmm. in the shirt sleeves being dragged away by the chattery teeth and then it leaves him like she chases him down and mm-hmm. then the, I guess the teeth let him go and just totter off into the desert and she cries and is sad and that's the, <laughs> the end of it and it doesn't 
make sa- any sense. sense. No, it doesn't. And that's when I was watching that segment, I was really puzzled because I thought, well, is he telling us, or are they characters in the story? Is she mm-hmm. the, the uh, you know, the wife that we hear over the phone? And is this their future child that she's bearing? Or, and then, of course, it happens right away. So I, I didn't... But, they, but we know that that's not true because his name in the story is Bill. Right, it's a different like, name. It's a different name. So I was, I was very puzzled by what that all yeah, was Yeah, and why didn't they protect him? It just, it just ate him. The, <laughs> the teeth are prowling around, you know, the, the deserts of the Southwest somewhere. Yeah, I don't... Victims it's it's weird. Own. And then it's even sort of more derailed in the beginning of the next one, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's just the end of that. And then we go and we see... Matt Frewer. Matt Frewer. Well, first we just see the back of a skinny man who is pickpocketing everyone at like a carnival. It's Max Headroom. It is Max Headroom. It's it's Matt Frewer, uh, which, but we don't see his face right away. We just see him stealing from everybody. And then he steals one from one person too many, and we hear her yell for the police. Um, and then he ducks into Quicksilver's like cabinet of curiosities. I don't right. know what it was. It's a tent. Oh, it, uh, delightful horrors, I think right. is what it said. And I was like, mm, I don't like that phrase. Delightful horrors. <laughs> and he is looking around at the things, and one of the things in under glass in this room is... The cheddar teeth. <laughs> I'm just like, what's happening? Um, then there's also a hand of glory, which mm-hmm. is what you picked out right away. Right. And then we see Christopher Lloyd in all of his BDSM glory right. come out. He's wearing slightly less cakey makeup this time. Uh-huh. But I don't know if that was a literal, like a choice or what. And he says, you know. He calls him Charlie, and he's like, oh, are you going to guess my, like, oh, am I supposed to be impressed that you guessed my name? So, Matt Frewer's character's name is Charlie, um, and he's like, oh, no, I was just using that as a placeholder name. What a mm-hmm. coincidence that your yeah. name is actually Charlie, and then he calls him by his, his last actual name. last name, Mr., what is it, Spenger or something like that, and... Uh, He's like, oh, no, you should stay for a story. Uh, And then he tells him what a Hand of Glory is. Now, Hand of Glory is a, like a shrunken head. It's a thing that's probably never been actually real, but you think so? It was actually used in in rituals and folk magic. It's the hand of a, the severed hand of a condemned criminal. Right. Uh-huh. But do you think that anyone ever was actually the severed hand of a condemned criminal? I think that they might have been. I do not believe that they were turned into a candle like that. No, he said that it was uh, um, the hand of a wax. condemned criminal mm-hmm. wrapped around, a, it was supposed to be wrapped around a candle made of the tallow of right. another condemned and criminal. And again, this is folk magic. I don't know how much of it was actually done. Right. I know that the Hand of Glory appears in The Wicker Man, appears in a lot of right. other stories. And, but I'm wondering if that was ever a real thing or if it, it or like a relic, like, uh-huh. a, like a saint's relic. This has never been the toe bone of a saint. That's never what right. that actually I, that was. I can't tell you. Okay. But um, I know that it's a standby in so this kind this of thing. So this one has actually been dipped, and the hand itself was dipped in mm-hmm. the wax. So the hand itself is the candle, and it, all five of the flames are burning, or the fingers are burning. Right. And it looks very cool. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and uh, Matt Furrier's looking around and sees cops right outside the tent, and he's like, well, I guess I've got some time to listen to your story. And now we get the body politics story. Now, this is a Clive Barker short story. Uh, and we start with a plastic surgeon, also played by Matt Frewer. <laughs> and he is uh, running through his list of to-dos. He's got a brow lift and a liposuction, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's all, you know, standard stuff. This is He's in this. I don't know where it's supposed to be, but it's in this building that looks like a mansion, but is right. and is marble everywhere and whatever, and it's all these rich people getting their unimportant surgeries. To his credit, he's a likable character. He he's is trying was, to talk people out of surgery. That was why I was uh-huh. like, I don't really. This isn't a morality thing, right? Um, he's not a person who's getting something for what he did wrong, and neither was the character in the first story. No. Yeah, which is what made well, me odd. The the character in the first story, the bad guy got oh yes, but right, I mean our main character. But the but the frame narrative right. guy didn't get what he yes mm-hmm. exactly. He didn't and deserve so, to get what he got right. Um, and then, um, in the middle of his second surgery, or no, as he's doing a, uh, a, a pre-surgery exam and trying to yes talk mm. this woman out of a fifth brow lift, um, his hands start acting up. His yeah. hands start acting strangely, uh, and during the actual surgery, wherein we have not one but two. Uh, weird cameos by John Landis and right. Clive Barker now, himself. I have to say, the who Clive... shows his whole face, he right. pulls his surgical mask down just so that we know that is Clive Barker. Well, there's, a, there's um, and we talked about that. John Landis seems to just his his. Uh... He had one line, and it was some snide. Right, it's comment. he appears just to relish in being a jerk, being a dick. Yeah, I, I forget what his line was. I know that in the um. In the stand, it was something like, uh, I thought there would be more whores. Why aren't there more whores? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So he just, he, he relishes in this. But Clive Barker's was funny because he gets two shots. Yeah. One of which is that when Matt Frewer is doing the sca- surgery, I think a scalpel springs from his hand and mm-hmm. embeds itself in the wall right next to yeah. Barker, who then pulls on his mask and there's a zoom into, his, a zoom into his face. Into like, his smiling face. He is. Here. And he was, I, Clive Barker's a good looking dude. Uh-huh. Like he's less, like he's gotten to look sick the last few times and, I've and seen Ill, him. Yes. Sort of very gaunt. Uh-huh. But at this point, he's a good-looking dude. Right. And I'd be like, fucking put my face in this movie. <laughs> right. uh, but yeah, the fact that he takes off the mask and we get this zoom, zoom into in, him. Like, it's Clive Barker. <laughs> right. <laughs> wink, and then wink. you were like, is Stephen King going to come up? And I'm like, well, if he was going to be in it, he would have been in the right. last one. <laughs> like, this is Clive Barker's story. Um, and... He goes home to his beautiful wife, who is played by Cynthia Garris, who last time we saw her was a dead corpse in, in a, a bath. Horrible puddle of putrefying flesh. Yes, in the she bathtub. was in the stand. Yeah. Uh, no, here, no, in the. Um, I'm sorry, The Shining. In the she Shining. might have been in the stand. I she don't might know. Have she also appears been in, the stand. Uh, in, in these. And she is a pretty good actress because I yes. I felt for her character in this movie. Yep. She very much loves Matt Fewer. It was the sexiest I've ever seen Matt Fewer. They put him in a bath. He gets love scenes. I'm like, what is going <laughs> on here? <laughs> well, that, that's kind of what I liked. I liked the, it felt very affectionate, the love scene that it happens. Did. 
She pours a bath for him. She takes care of him because yeah. apparently, you know, he's, he's the money And he's been working all right. day and, you know, working hard. Having a, He's like, my hands are acting up. It looks like he might be in a little bit of pain. She's right. like, uh, and then they end up having a sex scene. In the bathtub. In the bathtub, but wherein he at one point looks at his hand uh-huh. that is sort of acting on its own. And I'm like... Are they indicating that he is having a threesome between himself, his wife, and his foreign hand? That is what it seemed like to me. And she was like, those are magic hands. Like, whatever his hand is doing, she's on board. (laughs) Um, But I'm just like, that is weird. But it does feel like a Clive Barker body horror type thing. Like, I I buy that that is what his intention was 100%. And then we see these scenes, and you didn't like them. You didn't think that they worked, but I actually did think that they worked. Wherein Matt Frewer is asleep, and his hands are talking to each other. And they're doing, it's not sign language, but it's reminiscent okay. of sign language. So what, and then there are little voices uh, coming out of each of them, which I get. Like, I get the, that. The, there was, so this reminded me a lot of the Outer Limits episode, Corpus Earthling, where... Robert Culp hears voices coming from a room, and they they turn out to be two rock samples from a meteorite. Oh, okay, and, and do they talk, have these weird high pitched voices? They have weird high pitched voices, and they're planning to kill him. Okay, and so he begins this sort of assassination thing. Mind you, you know why he's able to hear them? Because he has a metal plate, metal plate in, his in his head. head. Of course, yeah. that's anyhow, either what causes you to hear them or causes you to not right, be to immune block from their them. influence. <laughs> but what it did remind me of when I'm watching it, and I think as the episode went on, there was a great deal of humor to it. Uh-huh. So it reminded me of like a person doing puppet fingers yes, or something. It was and... like that. And they're talking to each other. And yeah. basically they're saying, we're going to get free of the body. I'm going to cut you free. And then I am the Messiah. And you have to come back for yes, me. The right hand has messianic The right hand has messianic, yes. And, and the other one's Because it can't. Once one is cut off, he can't cut off the other one. Right? right. Like So he's like, you have to go gather an army. And come back for me. That's that's basically what happens. We'll do it tomorrow, whatever. Um, the next night, it get, it's starting to get worse and worse. He goes and he talks to his psychiatrist. Um, and they're talking about how, is it the man or the hands that in, for an artist? Like, what if Dolly had hands that wouldn't do, you know, what if right. these, these great artists didn't have hands the ones that had big clumsy hands that wouldn't do the work. Is it the hands that create or is it the mind that creates? So there's that little bit of um, psychology um, or philosophy inside the story. Meanwhile, his hands are just being like they're weird assholes and uh, they end up that next night strangling his wife. Uh, He wakes up and tries to make make himself let go of her and is too late to do so. Although I, I would contend given the amount of time between the time that she goes limp and the time that he lets go of her, she probably could have been revived, but that's fine. And then he is dragged by his hands downstairs. Now, this is my one big problem with Mm -hmm. this. Whenever the hands do like a a spider walk Mm -hmm. and then a flat and then a pull, I'm on board. Whenever they go... It's just the arm goes forward right. to pull him. I'm not on board. Because if the hands are what are an issue, the hands need to be doing the work. Right. 
if I reach towards you, it's not my hand doing anything. It's my shoulder and my back. Mm-hmm. So I needed the hands to be... I understand and that it elbow. would have taken your longer. Your doing all the work. Right. But right. If, if this is what's happening mm-hmm. and then being pulled, then I'm actually... I'm well, okay with that. What I've read is that Matt Frewer had trouble adjusting to this. Uh-huh. That it took him a few days to try to get independent motion for his hands. And then he claims that during between takes and it was on the set and stuff, he was working really hard with it. And that um, that he was having nightmares. About, uh, that they were going to start right. doing things on it. Yeah. And, and so That's a scary thing. Eventually they had... Uh, oh, well, we'll talk about that. We actually, maybe you should but it's always a scary thing in a comedy uh-huh. horror setting. Read Idle right. Hands, right? Like, you can't do the... Even the hand, the mm-hmm. Michael Caine movie, is a little bit funny. Because it's kind of ridiculous. So he ends up getting dragged downstairs and his hand cuts his other hand off. Now, once once again, I have a little bit of problem with the way that it's filmed because I think a lot of it is back and shoulders. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, if... like, Also, where does the hand end? Like, right? So he cuts it off about three inches above the wrist. No blood, y'all. There's no blood. (laughs) Okay, here's the part that's even stranger considering what it was made for. We see scenes of the hands creeping around it. We see the stump, but there's no, no bone, bone or it nothing. It looks like they just put like a Reynolds wrap lid on top of yes. the stump, and it's just there. There's no gore. There's nothing. So the hand is running around, da 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 da, and his um, psychiatrist comes and finds him, and they check him in to a facility. So he is drugged and in a hospital now. And the other hand makes its way there. I don't know if it's scooped and brought with them. I can't remember how it gets there. But it's also there. And it is now, it's proselytizing. Rise up against your captors and be free. And then there are just people chopping off their own hands. All willy-nilly all over the hospital. Uh, one hand at a time. Also, I'm going to say it again. No blood. There's no blood. There's a point where we see like 40 hands in a tree. Which was, to me, the most interesting was image. <laughs> it was an interesting image. It but wasn't it's like, convincing, no. but it was an interesting because image. Because these, these hands are all very much illustrated. Mm-hmm. There is nothing practical now, about was, them, and they look illustrated. There, this was the early use of the technology after the Adams Family. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't remember the original Adams Family, there was a hand in a box that was done by a puppeteer. Oh, really? And that was it. It never left the box. When it came to doing the film version... They had him They wanted it to scramble that. around. Yeah. And, uh, and so the same technology and even the same hand actor was used for this film because he already had expressive hands. Expressive hands, yeah. And so they doubled up on it, so there's a lot of imagery of the same hand over and over again. Yes. And this is something I commented... When we see all the hands scurrying around, it's like apparently it only victimizes white people. White people, because it's, yeah. yes. There, I think there was one black there's hand. One, well, there was one woman's hand. You know, and then there was one with nails, fingernails. but that was after when they um, weren't moving. And yeah. I'm not bringing that up to sort of, uh, because Bill Nunn plays a psychiatrist. Yes. Uh, who's very famous, Radio Rahim, from In the Right, uh, yeah, the yeah. right Thing, who's a great actor. It's a pity we lost him not too long ago. Um, but yeah, so there's just all these scurrying, scurrying hands attacking as you put it out, the nurses, there's like one very faithful nurse. Yes. The nurses are wearing very short skirts for no right. reason. What is happening I, here? I, I, okay. I think that he is being put up in his hospital, like in his... Yeah, because it's... Which is not... Yeah. Because the place that he works is a, is just 
a place for surgery, right. like for uh, elective surgeries. It's not, or like not even just elective surgeries, I guess. Plastic surgeries generally, because uh, they're not all elective. Uh, I like the, we had a Spanish subtitles to yes. this episode. We and watched the, this on YouTube, so there were, we were, we got what we got. The and term it was Spanish in Spanish was a, like uh, aesthetic surgeries is what it yes. would translate as. Right. I think that's a good way for it. It's like, yeah. it, it Although that's no, not always true, because there are burn victims right. or, you know, deformities and things. Somebody said some aesthetics. Yes. But, but everyone that we see is... She, he, like, he goes to one of his patients, and he's like, how are you today, Marsha, or whatever? And she goes, fat! <laughs> like, and then she, then we see her getting a liposuction. <laughs> She's like, okay, we gotcha. Then they come back to cut off the other hand, the Messiah hand. Uh-huh. And uh, Chris, uh, and uh, Matt Frewer gets enough sort of willpower to decide that he's, if he's going, like, it's up to him. This has to stop with him. And so he climbs up to the roof, and he's like, follow me to freedom. <laughs> and then he jumps off what the roof. What about his uh, hand, the actual hand that is... The Messiah hand. The Messiah hand is like, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. <laughs> but they all listen to him, because they're not smart. Hands by themselves, no brains. It's real rough. <laughs> it's, it's a rough go. And they all follow him, and then they all end up... I guess the way that you kill a hand is to throw it off of a roof. We need the rules for killing hands. It's confusing. <laughs> it's, but they all end up dead, or at least not moving this is anymore. This practical effect. A bunch of what looks like hands from a, you know, from a magician store. Yes. Or something just being thrown just out. Just thrown the out of the window. Yes. Or yeah, off of the, off the ledge. It's, it's, that part was not convincing at all. It's funny because they worked so hard to create as many interesting visual images in this. Like the hands in the tree was very creepy, but... Yeah, the no, hands no. on the tree was, I have hand tree. I have written that in my notes. Right. It, was, it was a good image. And then how does the frame narrative end? I can't even remember. The frame narrative is that Matt Frewer's character then goes back out to the, the fair, uh-huh. and his hands are acting independently, and they run up and try to grab either the wallet or the gun off a police officer. And, and he gets arrested. Right. That's right. That's right. Um, and that's the end. And... And there See, were no more. <laughs> this this story, um, it reminded me a lot of, there's a 1967 film called Torture Garden. Okay. That was about uh, Burgess Meredith, who was great in this kind of thing. You can just imagine him uh, playing a, like a, a fairground huckster who okay. might not be a huckster. He might actually be the devil. Oh, okay. Named Dr. Diavolo. Okay. Who invites you in to see his wax museum, Chamber of Horrors. Uh, and so it reminded me of that. Also, the hand thing is really old. W.F. Harvey, is, you know, who wrote the story August Heat, he wrote a story, um, The Beast with Five Fingers. And I think that he and Guido Maupassant invented the severed hand coming to get you. Yes, there's a severed hand coming to get you, but there's separate, there is a psychological condition where you feel like mm-hmm. a part of your body is not part of your body. Right, and there's uh, there's another story whose name escapes me right now that was written about the same thing where a man severs his hand. Yeah. Because the hand, uh, the hands of Bogus Weems, I think, I don't remember the author, where the hand is trying to wreck his car for him. Right. He's trying to... And that happens uh, in this one too where it, he's like veering all over the road and I'm like, that's not your hands, that's your shoulders. Like, there's right. a little bit of, uh, you've got to like, where the hand ends and how much damage just the hand could actually do is like a weird 
sticking point for me, but it, it was a sticking point. Um, but the, uh, every medical show that goes more than three seasons has an episode where somebody cuts off some part of their body because it doesn't feel like theirs. Like yeah. everyone, every one of it's them has done it. It's an interesting condition. Um, um, it's rare, but it is a I real actually, thing. And I don't think it's giving away, I, I won't mention names, but uh, when I was married, we had a, my wife and I at the time had a mutual friend who began telling her psychiatrist that she believed that her hand was out to get her. Oh, interesting. And that uh, if she didn't do something by a particular date, the hand would take over her entire That sounds like an OCD. Yeah. Like, a, like so, an add-on to OCD. And the, the, the pity was that this uh, person was the mother of a teenager. And we couldn't at any point, she was never well clear enough to get out of the hospital. And the teenager also started inheriting some of the same problems as she grew older. But yeah, the first time I heard about it was from an actual, was in in regards to a person who really did believe their their arm, their hand and their arm in that case, was taking over their entire body and sort of spreading upwards into her consciousness and making her do things she didn't want to do. So it is an actual terrible, terrible thing. Yes, yes. Um, but this, I don't know, this was a halfway serious kind of that's the thing they do define uh, this movie as a comedy thriller and or comedy horror right right and comedy horror is a is a tricky yeah genre i almost never think it's successful and that might just be like i eat one thing at a time maybe i just don't want my way, don't go together right but also like I don't want my peas and my potatoes. To, well, I don't want my peas at all. I don't want my potatoes <laughs> and my meat to touch. I want them to eat. I want to eat them separately. And, now and we you're trying to so make me eat a stew, <laughs> and I don't want it. Well, I, no, I, I want my a comedy when I want my comedy, and I want my horror when I want my horror. And that might just be a meat. I will not eat a meat pie. I know you won't. I you want won't eat a savory a pie. pie. I don't want a savory pie. Those two things don't go together. It's wrong. Yeah. I'm sure so, it says it somewhere in the Bible. I don't know where. And I but, don't know if it is just, it's no. a particularly difficult genre to do or because there haven't been that many. It, what would you consider to be a successful horror comedy if you can think of one? Because I'm sure that somebody will tell me Ghostbusters, but I didn't find it frightening at all. It's, so it that doesn't seem it's horror like a, to me. A comedy that uses horror imagery. Happy Death Day. Oh yeah, it's a giver. successful horror comedy. Mm-hmm. I just, I literally just googled horror comedy. I think Zombieland is successful. Zombieland would be. I, I think, think Ready or Not is a successful horror comedy. I didn't see that one. I don't think Ready or Not. We just saw it's the one where they play hide and seek. Oh yes, there. That's a successful horror comedy. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I get confused because the titles are also similar. I know. <laughs> I think the other one... Because um, it wasn't Truth or Dare. That is the, yeah. The Evil Dead, the second the movie. The Evil Dead movies are supposed to be good. I've never seen the them. The second one actually has moments where it's almost uncomfortable how overboard they are. And I think that Sam Raimi has a gift for it. I think so. When um, you watch uh, Drag Me to Hell, yeah, that there one are too. really funny moments. There's a moment where a goat stands up and starts cussing someone out, and it still retains its power to be creepy. Because goats are creepy as hell. But the idea that the goat is like chattering at you and cussing you out and calling you that dumb son of a bitch. Yes. That was actually very funny and still at the same time. And it also is like... It's creepy. Different kinds of comedies work Uh, for different people. Right. Comedy that you like, I don't necessarily Mm -hmm. like. Um, or I do, it just doesn't make me laugh as much as it makes you laugh. Like, but Army of Darkness is like, uh-huh. yeah, is the is Evil Dead too, right? This Collider article calls Midsummer a horror comedy, which is an interesting. <sighs> there, a, a, a deep breath. 
I don't um, know that that's... That was... We had a, a Facebook friend that mentioned how unexpectedly funny it was. It, that there is are, right. There's a lot of funny moments. There's one joke near the end about speaking in Swedish that I, you know, that actually worked because it was so spontaneous and funny. Mm-hmm. You know, you are that high. Jennifer's Body, uh, I think, will I never work. Saw that one. I think the Scream movies probably, uh-huh. probably fall into this. Um, I think um, Cabin in the Woods. I think you could call uh, the horror Howling. comedy. The howling, but more often it's either mostly horror with some comedy or mostly comedy with some horror. American Werewolf in London and the the howling. As a matter of fact, werewolf movies in particular seem to be pretty good bets. So when I said they was impossible, apparently I was a big fat liar. (laughs) So there are good ones. I do though think that it is a difficult. Yeah, I've seen a lot of bad ones. Is what it is. I think that's what right. I think it's either not funny or it's not scary, and so it's. It's unsuccessful. It's like I'm gonna make a Top Chef reference. All it's right. like when they give you a task and you're and then you're mm-hmm. they're like make an appetizer and you come back with such and such three ways and they're like great you've given me three things you could have fucked up right. instead of just doing one thing really well. If any of these aren't good, then your whole thing well, fails. You're doing a twofer, right. and if either of them fail your movie has failed. I, I think that it's a hard one because you have two audiences to please. I saw a lot of bad student films that were horror comedies. And for the most part, it what it seemed to me was that they either didn't respect the horror genre enough to be serious about it, or right. they were so afraid that you were going to laugh at what they were trying to scare you with that they beat you to the punch by making it yeah. funny. Yeah. And it just you so, have to really yeah, believe in your you have horror, to have a conviction and you of have what you're to doing. really believe in your comedy, right. and you have to be just confident what, in both of them. Yes, yeah. and there are some where, and that's hard. Yeah, there are some. Mario Baba did it from time to time, where he did something that uh, he did a film that pretty much invented the slasher genre in the eighties. Okay, and he thought it was hysterical, and everyone watching the movie thinks. What the hell? Because Why it's, he, well, he also has a very fucked up sense of humor. Right. I would almost think that Final Destination, yeah, is yes, I think because that, it goes so far that uh-huh. you're like, this is supposed to be funny, right? Because it is. Well, there were also wild. what I enjoyed about the first film, which is the only one I saw, was some neat things like why is Tony Todd in this movie for yes. any reason at all? There's a very funny because bit because if with, you're um, gonna make a movie, put right. Tony Todd in it. There's a funny. It's the bit. first rule. Listen to that voice. Make this, him say something daunting. The school teacher. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, her name is Valerie Luton. Yes. Wink, wink. Yes. I think another movie for me that worked. There's a film called Horror Express. Okay. With Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee on a the Trans Siberian Express, and there's an alien. That well, came well. from that had haunted uh, the the corpse of a prehistoric man. It's crashed here in a spaceship in the ice age, and now it's trying to get back to its home planet, so it can pretend to be anybody that it wants to be. It can take the uh, take over their body, and so at one point the um, police can or uh, the police officer who's hunting down the alien mm-hmm. confronts Cushing and Lee, and says, "Well, it could be one of you too. And Cushing has a great moment where he stops the beat and says. We're English. Like, <laughs> how dare you question us? But that, that worked. The rest of the movie is mostly scary, but that moment just worked. And you should put a little bit of comedy in your horror because it, it's it can hard to over, watch right. 90 minutes of terror. We will never see. I, I really appreciate a lot of Dario Argento's work. 
Mm-hmm. I can't sit down like I can with other movies and go, hey, I feel like Dario Argento today. Mostly because I won't sleep at night, but Suspiria is not a movie you're going to watch every once in a while while you're, you know, for the fun of it. It's not something you can have in the background while you're working because it's going to mm-hmm. be in your subconscious mm-hmm. then. And that's the, an example of something who, someone who just took horror and pushes it as hard as they can. And so you're right. You can't do it. You don't want to revisit a movie that extreme. You don't want to revisit Hereditary, necessarily. You don't want to revisit The yeah, Witch I all the time. I love Hereditary. Yeah. I will never watch that movie you again. You don't want to... I mean, there's even a little humor in Night of the Living Dead, but it's nothing... It's too intense to go back and go, all right, I'm going to sit here. Yeah, let me just watch this We just this watched again. a movie recently, um, Underwater. Yeah. Which was amazingly intense, but you still had T.J. Miller. I think now Miller. that I know who gets all the way through, yes, T.J. Miller making you jokes. had to break it up every once in a while, because if not, it, it was going to be... See, also Cloverfield. Right. It it's was the same character. It was way too heavy mm-hmm. to go through that movie at that level of intensity without yep. somebody just See, like, for God's sakes. I'm right. so tired. <laughs> right. Exhausting. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So that's our horror comedy. Com- so do you, wrap up. Do you have anything to recommend for Do I have anything people? to recommend? Mm, when don't you go first? I saw a hell of a movie yesterday. Okay, I'm like, which one are you going to do? Okay. Yes. Well, I saw, I saw two pretty good movies this weekend um, on the balance, but uh, just, Ca- uh, just, just Mercy. Mercy, which is a tricky title because I've seen so many films with Just, in just yeah. Cause. Just. Yep. It made me want to watch... Uh, the Sam Jackson, Matthew McConaughey movie. Right. A Time to Kill? Time to Kill. Right. Yeah, yeah. It was a courtroom drama, and I won't tell you much about it because I went in pretty much blind. Yeah. It is a really great movie with really great performances, and I love how it references probably one of the great courtroom movies of all time, To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. In a really in a very ironic, smart way. Yeah. Smart way, um, which is feeling good about the justice that happened fictionally in your town 50 years ago yeah, versus the actual saying, justice. I, I, in fact, I'm going to say it because I, I yeah, the, uh, the, because it's the ethos of the movie, right? Somebody tells him to go to the Atticus Finch or go to the Mockingbird Museum mm-hmm. because it's one of the great monuments to civil rights in Alabama. Right. If one of the great monuments to civil rights in Alabama is a fictional thing, that's a problem, you right. well, so, and, <laughs> and it and, was an unironic thing that was said. Right. They if, did not even understand. Like. If you, what I liked about the film, and just the, I, and you can get this much from the advertisement. The pot is about a black. It's a true story of a, a black man who is accused of committing a murder that he could not have possibly committed. Yeah, and and is put the, on death row for it. Right, put on death row, and in the rush to find someone who, to appease the public. Uh, they just get the first available guy mm-hmm. and railroad him. Yep. Regardless of what else happens to anybody else, and then years later, cover continually cover up for the crime. Yeah, and what I'd actually say is, what the movie's actually about is the starting of the EJI, which is right. the Equal Justice Initiative, um, started by Brian Stevenson uh, in 1989, mm-hmm. Harvard recent Harvard graduate opened this nonprofit and it's the beginning of his work and how he started and right. it's with this case. It's so good. The film Bring is, some tissues, y'all. You will cry. The film is really even-handed. Mm-hmm. It's not 
portraying the white characters as the villains. It's not portraying some of them are, but also there's also there's, no white saviors in this movie. Yes, which is something I appreciate because it, when it references To Kill a Mockingbird, which was something to say at the time, but now it does. If you made that film again, it would push the white savior narrative. Mm-hmm. And that's fine for then. We needed to address the issue, but now, God bless Atticus Finch, but it's he's not what we need right now to see to make people feel better about themselves. Because and the reason we keep bringing this up is that the murder takes place in the exact same town where Harper Lee set to kill a mockingbird. Yeah. Um, and I I really appreciated the movie. I really was amazed by the performances. Yeah. There is a a white character in the film who does a real transformation over the course of the movie. Um, and because he has an experience of what's actually going to happen to these people on death row. Yeah. That was, a, yeah, that character was very interesting and not treated as a savior, just uh-huh. like small increment changes right. are, are made. Yeah. Yeah. And, and his, the actor, I don't know his name. I don't know. I don't know. Um, his name but either. he did a wonderful job of, because most of, his performance is silent. It is. He has almost, I think and, he says maybe yeah. 15 lines, maybe, in and, a two-hour and 17-minute movie. And also there's some really great performances about the white prisoner who gets railroaded into testifying or giving false testimony. Tim Blake Nelson's great He's in everything, amazing. y'all. amazing. <laughs> he is really amazing. The credits show a contrast between the actual actors and the characters they play. And it's not so much of a contrast. They look so much like them. They it did a really amazing creepy. job the with them. The casting was amazing. But yeah, the film on the whole was amazing. And I, I, uh, it was a great kind of film experience to see that this kind of movie making still happens. When I was younger, or even before that, you were doing films like The Defiant Ones, In the Heat of the Night. You were doing these films, um, No Way Out, that talked about sort of equality and justice and brought up these issues. And you don't see that much as much anymore. So I was really glad to see that this kind of school of filmmaking that wakes people up or shakes them is still going on. So I think it's probably Mercury. Hayes Mercury okay. is his name. It's M-E-R-C-U-R-E. Uh-huh. Uh, and his character's name is Jeremy. Uh, he was in Days of Our Lives for a whole bunch of time. Yeah, I, and I have to say... Uh, yeah, and The Restless, too. So God. that's where he came from. Right. Uh, very good, very good. His character arc is really interesting, and background. It's not a main thing. It's just an interesting thing in the background. Um, Jamie Foxx, I have to say, is so weird... Having seen him in Living Color, just yeah. cutting it up all the time, yep. giving this kind of performance, mm-hmm. it really takes me like, wait, hold it, what? <laughs> and when I, you know, I had trouble at the beginning taking him seriously as a dramatic actor. Yeah, but he's very and good. And he just eats this part up. And yeah. He puts in the work. Yeah. It's clear that he is doing the work. And mm-hmm. it, yeah, it's, he's very good. Yeah. And I haven't seen Ray or the, you know, the, Ray is a really good performance and that, that I always felt was hampered by the way that the story is told. Okay, that's right, yes. But yeah. uh, other than that, it's it's a first-rate performance, and that is something that makes you sit up and look at him and go, okay, this isn't just the guy who used to go for all the weird laughs, because he played such bizarre characters. Well, In Living Color was all about really bizarre characters. Mm-hmm. They went really overboard with mm-hmm. the weirdness. Yeah. 
But um, but yeah, just looking at him now, going, God, where I wouldn't have looked at that guy back then and said this. Well, I wouldn't have thought the same thing about um, Tom Hanks when I'm yeah. watching Bosom Buddies. Yeah, and they can probably and commiserate the and, two of them. Yeah. About oh, you started out wearing a dress because both of them did. Yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> look where you are now. You were getting a, you were wearing a dress for laughs, and look at you now. So good on both of them. So what what's yours? Yeah, I'm just gonna co-sign yours because I don't know what I've been watching. <laughs> so I'm just catching up on Outlander, y'all. <laughs> that's my whole life. So I co-sign yours, uh, and we'll see what else what else I see coming up. So next week is going to be a very different situation. Do you know what we're watching next week? No, I don't know what we're watching next week. Next week we are watching Apt Pupil. <gasps> oh, so problematic. Yeah. So yeah. Nazis, everybody. Warning, warning, warning. Nazis and some I haven't seen the movie. about the director. I've not seen the movie. I haven't... Mm. Or I have not seen the movie. I have read the book or the story. It's a novella. It, it's one. It's one yeah. of them from the same as Shawshank and the stand. Right. Nope. The body. Stand by me. I always call it the stand first. <laughs> people stand in it. Well, they because stand, stand by me by has a stand body, in so it. maybe that should be your mnemonic. And uh, yeah, so that's that's what's on tap. Oh. We have recorded it off of a television station, probably IFC or something. Yes. I, so, so that is how we are watching it. I don't it. think much will change. So we were watching Apt Pupil with the caveat of Nazis, Nazis, Nazis. Watch it with us and listen next week. Uh, until then, if you have questions, comments, concerns, what's your favorite horror comedy? What did we miss? You can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at latecomerspod or on Facebook, Latecomers Podcast. You can just do a search. Uh, until next week, I remind you to take your medicine and we remind you better, better late, late than, than never. never.